Good morning. It's good to be um, back together in the house of the Lord. Amen. We will be continuing our series in First Timothy, uh, chapter five. We've taken the last three weeks off for Easter, and then last week uh, we had off. I was here, but I took off. Uh, Brother Frank did a fabulous job. If you did not had a chance to hear that message last week, uh, he did an amazing job. So please go on our website, find that pass that message that Brother Frank did. Uh, I, I'm still thinking about the two things, the command to look and the promise that come with looking. So, uh, Brother Frank, again, thank you for uh, filling in for me. Uh, I got a text message this morning from someone that said, Brother Frank did an awesome job. So other people outside of this state are listening to you, Brother Frank. You did a great job. Uh, for those who uh, have not been with us, welcome the guests. Uh, we would ask that you would, uh, on your way out, find that visitor card, fill that out for us. That's a way for us. Uh, to get to know you and for you to get to know us. I promise we won't show up at your house unexpectedly. I don't do that. Uh, I don't want anyone to do that to me. So it's just a way for us to give you information about all that God is doing here at Powell's Chapel. So please fill that out. Again, thanks um, for being a visitor. Uh, it's uh, with great honor that we say welcome. Just as a recap of where we've been in First Timothy, you remember the, the book of First Timothy is about uh, Paul addressing young Timothy. Paul is probably, in my opinion, the greatest missionary church planner the world has ever seen. And so Paul is a missionary sent by God all over uh, to plant churches. And he now has planted a church in Ephesus. That's where this book, is. this story takes place. This letter is written to a church in Ephesus. And young Timothy is about 35 to 40 years old. He's a young man starting off in ministry. And so Paul has been discipling and mentoring young Timothy along the way. He planted young Timothy in this church. And then Paul went on his other journeys and he's writing back to young T Timothy because he hears things that are happening in the church that he planted. And he's saying to Timothy, hey, you got to continue to fight the good fight. Fight the fight of protecting the Gospel in this church so that the Gospel can go out beyond the church. And so you'll see the, the, book, the letter is bookend with these two statements. Fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. And everything that happens in between there. In the first several chapters, up until chapter 5, is all about establishing the church. This is what the church ought to look like. If you remember in chapter 1, it's, a, it's about there's been some false teaching in the church. And he's saying to young Timothy, protect and fight the good fight in protecting the church against the false teaching. Then in chapter 3, he says, Hey, this is the way you do that. You set elders and you set deacons to help protect the flock from the false teaching. Then he talks about what they're protecting. What is the good fight? It's the mystery of the gospel in uh, the, the latter half of chapter three. In chapter four, he talks about some of them in the church have departed from the church and continue to fight as people wander away. And then all of a sudden we get to chapter five and it seems like a sharp turn. If you're reading the book, you're reading the letter, it seems like chapter 5, verses 1 through 16 come out of nowhere. But I, I want to show us how it doesn't come out of nowhere this morning. He's going to talk to us about familiar relationships. The title of this morning's message is Family Matters. It's a play on words. It's the matters within the family, and it's going to show us that families matter. So two, two different ways. That the family, the church, is known as a family. You'll see this in the very first two pass, the very first two, uh, verses. But this is 
how we deal with families. This is the matters of the family. And so we're going to look at three things this morning. I was only going to teach through verse 8, but uh, after studying this week, uh, verses 9 through 16 fit uh, very well in this passage. And so the three things we're going to look at is relationships in the church. We'll look at responsibilities of the church and roles in the church. This passage may be to us uh, odd. As we come to this passage, we live in a society that this passage really doesn't make sense. He's going to talk about this is what we, how we ought to treat one another, and this is who we are to treat. And so in verses 1 and 2, he talks about how we're to look at each other. And this is the thing that I think our society has gotten uh, hijacked. Paul is going to tell Timothy, don't treat everyone the same. That's what he says in verses 1 and 2. But we live in a society that says treat everybody the same. We're all equals and so let's treat everyone the same. The the idea of respect in our society is gone. But Paul is going to say to Timothy, hey, you're a young man, let's show you and let me show you what respect looks like. So don't treat people the same. Don't treat older men the same. Don't treat younger men the same. Don't treat older women the same. Don't treat younger women the same. That's not what our society says, is it? It's amazing to me, even on cartoons. I was sitting with Cedar yesterday watching cartoons. I'm like, man, A, there's no parents involved in any cartoon anymore. It's crazy. I was sitting there. It's it's this cartoon called Ben 10, which, which you can judge me for letting my kid watch it, I guess. Uh, I might take it to heart. Probably not, though. But anyway, it's about this boy that can change into different things. And it's his like goofy granddad that's always around. No mom, no dad. But the way he was talking to his granddad, I'm like, what? But then I began to think, like when I go to school to pick up Tennyson, I, I'm a grown man, but I get treated like a kid from kids. I hate being called buddy. And I can't stand being called buddy by a four-year-old. I'm not your buddy. I'm a grown man. But is that not true? When we go into society, we treat everyone the same. I can't tell you the last time, like, where, when I grew up, man, if I did not say Mr. and Mrs. fill in the blank, I would have no front teeth still to today. I'd be eating them like candy. But we grow up, we grow up, and so we come to this passage, and it's like, man, this is so archaic. And we'll say to ourselves, oh, that's, that's how it used to be. No, but Paul is dressing Timothy and God is using this letter to tell us, no, this is how it needs to be today in the church and outside the church. And so he says this, this is what relationships are to look like. He says this, do not rebuke. That word rebuke in the Greek means harshly or violently. It has the idea of slapping someone in the mouth. So he's saying to Timothy, hey, when you go to rebuke people, don't do it harshly. It's the only word rebuke in the New Testament that is used this way. Well, if you go back and read verses chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, he tells Timothy he needs to do rebuking. Does he not? Hey, when we guard the faith, he's going to say to Timothy, you've got to hold people accountable, but here's how you hold them accountable. Don't rebuke them harshly. And he says these four people, the four people in verse 1, how we are to do relationships is this. He says this, 
And this is where it shows us the church is a family. Look at how he addresses everyone in the church. He says, when you go to rebuke, don't do it harshly. When you go to rebuke older men, you do it this way. And I believe this word can be transferable to the four other, other categories in this passage. He says to do it with encouragement. When there has to be a rebuke in the church, you do it with encouragement. You go to older men first and you encourage them. That, that word means with courage. Like I gotta bring courage to older men. I'm a young man, so there are going to be times as a pastor, I'm going to need to rebuke older men. But I must not do it harshly. I must do it with encouragement to show the older men in the church, hey, this is what God's words, and encourage them to see it rather than beat them upside the head with it. So he first says, hey, look at older men. How do we treat older men? How does he tell us to treat older men? Like who in the passage? Fathers. Now again, I don't know how you treated your dad. He's not saying to us, Treat everyone the same. No, when we have older men, younger men, I'm talking to you right now. That means all of us. Unless you're the oldest man in the room, you're a younger man. Like We are to treat older men like we would our fathers. Which means, if you grew up in a house like me, then we had to show our dad the utmost respect. I don't know about you, but back-talking was not allowed in my house. I had to show my dad respect. So what I believe Paul is saying to Timothy, we must show fathers and older men the respect that they deserve. How come? Because fathers are to what Jared just saying to us. They're a model of our Heavenly Father. Do we not show God respect? And that's the problem. We don't. We don't respect God for who He really is. We think God's a good guy or He's a cool guy. or uh, No, no. He is a man. He is a being that demands respect. Do we see that first? Because I, my greatest fear is this. We look to our, our fathers as we look to our Heavenly Father. Either your father's just a genie in the bottle or he's some abusive man. That's not the God that we serve. And so do we honor our, father, our older men in the church with respect. And then he says this, the next relationship that we are to do, he says, treat men differently. Right? He first addresses men and then he addresses women. He said, now, next, moving on to the younger men as brothers. Not as associates, not as neighbors, not as co-workers, not as co-laborers, but what does he say? Treat young men, the younger men, your peers, like you would a brother. I think this is where our society gets just these two first verses. I think I could spend days on these first few verses. How do we respect our brothers? I don't think we do. We have a race problem in the United States because we don't view each other like brothers. There are, like, 
red, black, white, orange, green, there are brothers that we ought to show respect to. And they ought to show respect back. But we don't see them that way anymore. We see people less than. And he's saying to the brothers, show equal respect to one another. And then he moves on to moms. He moves on to older women. He says older men and then older women as moms. Now he's talking to a man, Timothy. And so he's addressing Timothy to view older women like moms. And the, the way I see my kids treat Jenny as a mom, like I hope they grow up and treat older women that way for the rest of their lives. For me, that's one of the great uh, benefits of being here at Powell's Chapel. We don't just have young people. We have all generations here. I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for how you, as older women, treat my kids. And they're learning how to treat you back because of how you treat them as moms, as grandmoms. That's what the passage is talking about. There's not one person on this planet that I have more respect for than my grandmom. I, I, I would do anything for her. And a lot of us see our moms that way. We would do anything for our moms. Way more than my dad. Like I'm like, Dad, you can care for yourself. But my grandmom, I, I'll jump in front of a train for her. And what Paul is saying to Timothy, treat older women the way you treat your mom. You would do anything for your mama. Would you not? And so he's saying to us young men to treat older women the same way. And then he says this. Now he addresses young women. He says, after you show this to moms, show this to your sisters, young women as sisters, in all purity. Now he throws in the all purity part, and I wish more churches, more pastors, took that all purity to heart. The things that pastors do to young women to women is not all purity. That's why we're in the mess we're in in the church. Like You can go online and you'll hear in the next six months, I guarantee you, some pastors are going to fail morally with a woman in their church because they're not viewing them as a sister in the church. They're viewing them as something different. I love my sister. There's certain things I'll never do with my sister, if you know what I mean. And that's what he's saying to Timothy. View them like you would a sister. I don't look at my sister with any sort of lust at all. That's what the Word is saying. That's what he's saying with all purity. He's saying when you look at your sister, you look at another woman in the church, do it without any lust. With all purity. And my great fear is this. We don't, in our society, look at these four things this way anymore. I mean, you just turn on TV. We don't look at women like sisters. We look at them like objects. And the saddest part is they become objects for our attention. It's not just on the man, it's on the woman too. They don't look at us like brothers. They don't see us the same way. And I think these two verses, if we the church could get these verses right, then we the church could make a huge impact on our society. But somewhere down the line, Years and years ago, we let society creep into the church and we no longer have respect for one another in the church. And then all of a sudden he says this. 
And it's like, where are you coming from, Paul? Why, why not keep talking to Timothy about these? Then he says this. Then he uses the word honor. Honor. Which says, what is our responsibility as the church? I believe he makes the shift because he's going to start talking about widows. I believe he's saying, if you get the first two right, then I wouldn't have to address you on the next several verses. Like if we saw older women as moms, we would never, he would never have to address the church how to take care of an older woman, a widow. I don't think anyone in here is going to let their mom sleep under the bridge, are they? But the church was allowing people to metaphorically sleep under the bridge because they were not showing the respect to that woman that she deserved. And so now Paul takes it another step deeper. This is, this is how you play it out in the church. This is how respect is played out in this context. He says this, honor. Honor the widow. He's saying this, the word honor means to show respect, to care for, to support, to treat graciously. It's not just a level of respect. It's now I'm going to care for you as I respect you. I'm going to give you things to help you. It's not just by word, it's by deed as well. It's what Jesus says in John 13.35. You know that verse that says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. By what? The way that you love one another. The way that you care for one another. The way that you treat one another. If you know John 13, that John 13 is right, this verse comes right after Jesus does what? He washes His disciples' feet. And so He's washing their feet. He's modeling for them what it means to show respect, to show love, to show care. What it means to take care of one another as a family in the church. By this. By what? The way that you love each other. And so what Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, love matters in a family. And this is how you're to love each other. He says it this way in John, 1 John 3. John says it. Verse 11, 16 through 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. This is the original message is what John is saying. What's the original message? That we should love one another. Verse 16 says this. By this we know love that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If anyone who has the world's good and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. And so he's saying to us, if we're going to be the church that models to the world that family matters and that love matters, we have to take Action. We have to do something about it. Now, I, I don't think that Paul is just speaking to uh, widows by itself exclusively. I believe that Paul is addressing everyone that's in need in the church. Now, he focuses on widows. But I believe we can now take that and apply it to all of us in the church, those who are in need. You see that in Acts 2 and Acts 6. That they were needy people in the congregation and in their need they pushed everything to the table and they distribute their wealth to everyone. So Paul says to honor the widows who were truly widows. 
what does it mean to be a widow? Now, when we think of widow, we think of a woman that has lost their husband through death. That's not what this word widow means in this text. This widow in the text means this. Anyone that's lost their husband for any reason. You could lose them through death. You can lose them through divorce. You can lose them through abandonment. You, can th- you, you fill in the blank. It's not just about a wife that's lost her husband because he died. It's any wife that has lost her husband and the word widow means to be in great need. Are there not needy people in our church? Let me ask you this way. Are there not spiritually needy people in our church? Yes. How are we caring for the widow in our midst this morning? He says it this way. He lets the church somewhat off the hook. You may be thinking, what? He first says to us, hey, it's not just the church's responsibility first and foremost. He said, if they're truly a widow, but if the widow has a child or children, or grandchildren, let them, the child and grandchildren, learn to show godliness to their own household and make some return for their parents. What Paul is saying is first this. Hey, it's not first the role of the church primarily. It's the role of the family to care for the family. Now, I'm grateful that we live in a society that we have Medicare and Medicaid and there's all kinds of help. But I believe there's all kinds of help today because the church has not taken their responsibility to distribute the wealth. Let me say that again, as no one's tracking with me. We're in the mess we're in with our, with our health care because the church has not cared for the widows. If we, the church, had done what this passage said and we continued to do that, then we wouldn't have the mess we're in with our health care. We wouldn't need health care. Because everyone in the church would look over a, a widow and give them their need to help them care for. We, we would need uh, Social Security. We hadn't had Social Security for most of the world's existence. We're one of the only countries in the world that has Social Security. Why? If you've ever been to a poor country, the poor take care of the poor. If you've ever been outside this country, it's amazing to see how poor people care for poor people. Anyone been outside the country? And those poor people, as much as they lack, they're never lacking. It's amazing. And so I believe we aren't doing what God has mandated us to do in First Timothy is to care for one another. To treat one another well, with honor and respect. I I believe that goes outside. He then says, if you're truly a widow, that means if you have nobody to help you, it's now the church's responsibility to help you. If you have no one to care for you, no one to help you, now it becomes the church's responsibility to help and care for you. He says this, she, verse 5, who is truly a widow, left alone, she has set her hope on God and continues in supplication and prayer night and day. But the one who is self-dulgent is dead even while she lives. Commend Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. Verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially the members of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
he now gives some qualifications of what an elder, uh, what a widow looks like. He's saying, here's what a true widow looks like. They're totally in need, but in their need, they're still totally dependent on God. Have you ever been around a needy person that, I'll put it this way, I'll say it harshly. Uh, if you've ever been around a lot of homeless people, there's like this uh, entitlement with homeless people. That is not what Paul is saying. He says that in a moment. He's saying those people that have self-indulgences are, and are demanding, that's not our responsibility to care for. It's our responsibility to take care of those who are pursuing a right relationship with God, that devote themselves to the hope of God, that don't devote themselves to the hope of our money. But they're devoting themselves to God. They're devoting themselves through prayer and supplication. So there's qualifications of who we are to care for. She's to be a true widow. She's to set her hope on God. She's to be a prayerful woman and not a self-indulgent woman. And then Paul circles back and says this. If we don't care for our family members, it's worse off for us because we're like unbelievers. We're worse than unbelievers. What he's saying is that back in the day, even unbelievers understood how to care for their own families. He's saying, if you don't care for your families, you're worse than an unbeliever. We're to care for one another. I love that Paul doesn't stop with this period, but goes on to verse 9. He then says this. He then says, this is now the responsibility or the role that widows are to take once they've been taken care of. And he goes through a list. It's called the list. Most uh, scholars call it the list. He lists out a few things that a widow must do in return to the church because the church has helped her. The first one is this. She must pledge herself to serve the church for the rest of her life. He says this, having been a a wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, she has been brought up in the children to show hospitality. She has washed the feet of the saints. She has cared for the afflicted. She has she devoted herself to every good work. She refutes to enroll or enlist young widows. For they, the, the young widows, when they are passionate, draws them away from Christ. They desire to marry. And so incurs condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Verse 13, Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from one house to another, not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies saying that they should should and shouldn't do this. So I would have younger women or younger widows marry, bear children, manage their own households, and give to and give no chance to the adversary for slander. For some have already strayed from after Satan. If anyone believes a woman has relatives who are a widow, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that they may care for those who are truly widows. And so I'll break down what that passage is saying. What that passage is saying is once the widow has been taken care of by the church, it's the widow's responsibility to give back to the church. It's to receive and now to give. How many people just receive and never give back? So many people. And he says this, this is what we are to do. She's to pledge herself to the church for the rest of her life. She's to assist the church in all the demands that come with the church. She's to continue to make intercessory for the church. She's to counsel young women. That's what that whole section, verses 13 through 18, is about. Where you see 
he says this is about the young women. There's where the older women are to counsel younger women. She's to visit the sick. She's to prepare women for baptism and communion. She's to give guidance and support for the church. She's to serve the elders and the deacons. So he's saying this. This is what the relationship looks like in the church. Verses 1 and 2. This is how we are to take responsibility for those in the church. And once they've been taken care of, it's their responsibility to give back to the life of the church. It takes all of us to make a healthy family. All of us will make a healthy family. And so in the application to this text this morning is this. Do you see yourself and have you seen yourself like the widow? Because all of us are the widow. We have been in great, great, great need. Spiritually. Every single one of us. That we were so needy that we needed a God to make provision for us because there's no way we could make provision for ourselves spiritually. No matter how much work you put into it, no matter how much you prayed, no matter how much you did, you ended up like this widow in this passage. Needy, needy, needy. Nobody could help you. And no one was going to help you, but God, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. You and I are the widow in this passage. Do you see yourself as that widow? The next question I would say this. Do you see, see the great provision that God has made for you? It's His Son, Jesus. You see, without Jesus, you and I still remain the widow. We'll be desolate. We'll be disastrous. We'll be alone and empty with no help to come. Do you see the great provision that God has given to you and His Son, Jesus? And then the, set, the third one is this. If you've seen that you're the widow, if you've seen that you've received a great provision from God, have you given back to God and to His local church? It's, it's one thing to come to church. And it's one thing to give to church. I don't mean your money. I mean your talents, your gifts, your abilities, all that God has given to you and His provision for you. We just had a meeting this morning as deacons and we talked about this thing. And this is across the board. At every church. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That ought not be true if we really saw ourselves as a family. That we all must contribute to this family for this family to be healthy. I don't want Tennyson when she's 20 years old not contributing to the family. Like it's okay now. But even now, like, I don't want to continue to clean up after her and clean up her room. Like one day, like, I hope she cleans up her room. See her the same way. Well, that's across the board for us as a church. Like, we have needy people, and we, the people of God, ought to meet those needs spiritual needs, physical needs, monetary needs, all the needs. There ought to not be one needy person in this church because of this church. Emotionally speaking, physically speaking, if we did what this passage said, 
to do. You see, family matters. And all the things that God taught us about church, the one thing He continues to tell us is that we're a family. And my question to us is do we care for one another like a family? A healthy family. I'll use you, Jerry, as an example this morning in our deacons meeting because I thought you said it spot on. We're talking about this idea. You know the one place that Satan attacks when he wants to get a hold on anything? He attacks the family. If you look at just stats alone, the divorce rate amongst believers is higher than that which is on unbelievers. You see, the thing that God has given to us to display His love to us is the marriage relationship or the family relationship. So Satan knows if he can attack the family, then he can attack the goodness and trueness of God. And so I beg you, can we be a healthy family that would care for one another? And in caring for one another, the world will see a difference in us. You know, that's what the world wants more than anything is to see healthy families. Like kids want healthy moms and dads. You ask any teacher. Like they want a mom and a dad in the same house living together, doing well together, caring for each other, caring for the, for the kids well. Well, what if we, the church, became a model to that for the world? What if we began to be the trendsetters of what it meant to be a family? What if we, the church, began to set the tone for our societies of what it meant to show respect and to show people how we care for each other and to show people how we give back to a family? You want to see change? Change always starts with families. It does not start with individuals. It starts with families. So again, as application, do you know you're a widow in great need of God's grace and provision? If you've received that grace through His Son Jesus this morning, be grateful for that provision. We don't deserve it, but He gave it to us. And then thirdly, when we give back to the local church what God has so graciously given to us, let us pray.